Amen, amen. Let's thank our worship team for leading us this morning. So, so good to worship with God's people. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome to Christ Church, whether you're here in the building or uh, joining us online. My name is Brian Beemans. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, for this part of the service, um, you need to get God's word out, get it in front of you, get it opened up uh, to the book of Habakkuk. And uh, Habakkuk is a new series we're starting uh, uh, this morning, and uh, just so thankful for the truth uh, that's going to lead us. And this word is, um, is supposed to be leading us, both uh, whether it's individually or corporately, um, all of it is supposed to le- lead us to be faithful to what God has called us uh, to be as the disciples of Jesus. This is our script for life. And uh, Today we're going to start a series through this book, uh, this Minor Prophet. Uh, If you haven't been in the Minor Prophets, it might take you a little bit to find it. I promise you can find it. It's there, Habakkuk. Um, And I'm going to start, there's a lot of disputing about how to uh, pronounce Habakkuk, okay? So um, I, I researched that this week, and the Hebrew way is just really hard. Um, the actual Hebrew is kind of like, it's like Habakkuk. It's like that guttural H. And so just because of the whole COVID thing, we're not going to do any gutturals, okay? Just want to be safe, want to be safe. And, uh, and so um, the, a lot of people, even when I would joke with my kids about this, I would call it Habachuk, just kind of like, okay, I definitely have not uh, pronounced it right. Um, but the, uh, the best sort of way to pronounce it is Habakkuk. And so you guys practice once with me, okay? So we got it. It's the book of Habakkuk. Nice job. Way better than I did the first 50 times I tried to get it right. Um, Habakkuk, uh, his name actually means embrace or hug. And uh, it's a, a, a warmth that um, you see in the authenticity throughout this prophecy. Um, he was a prophet that lived, um, so that you can kind of get the, the landscape of when this prophecy came. He uh, was a prophet at the end of Josiah, King Josiah's reign, a rare moment of peace amidst the kings of, um, of Israel, and his prophecy was written down between, people estimate, 640 and 615 B.C., and it was specifically about the tribe of Judah. So look at this map just so you can kind of get and orient yourself um, if you see the big sort of like to the north and the, um, the east is uh, Israel. This prophecy came at the time when the kingdoms of God's people had actually divided into a northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom being Israel. And then to the south, the smaller kingdom was Judah. And so um, Israel had already been punished earlier in history because of their disobedience to God. The Assyrians had... Uh, uh, really uh, sent them into exile about 722 B.C. Habakkuk's prophecy is in anticipation of what is going to come. Most people, uh, most scholars say it was at 586 B.C. Because the Assyrians were sort of the, the main power and the Assyrians got conquered by the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. We're going to see this later in Habakkuk's prophecy And now these Babylonians uh, were not a nice kingdom, and they would come in in 586, and they would enter Judah, and they would destroy Jerusalem, the temple, and take the people into exile. It was a punishment because of their disobedience to God. And Habakkuk is wrestling with this prophecy that he knew was coming in the near future. But Habakkuk is distinct from other Old Testament prophets, very distinct. 
most of the other Old Testament prophets, whether it's the other major prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or other minor prophets, most of them speak for God against evil or disobedience in Israel. That's why sometimes you'll think prophetic is a prophetic voice is a, a, a addressing sin. But, but Habakkuk's different because he actually is wrestling with God for the people. Habakkuk, in an unbelievably authentic way, is confronting God over what is happening. And so what we find in this prophecy is that Habakkuk gives us an example of how to respond to God with faith in dark times. It gives us a glimpse of how to wrestle with God in prayer, how to navigate pain and suffering in this world when our questions go unanswered. And, and I believe that the church, in, particularly in, in America, in the United States, desperately needs to work through what we see in Habakkuk. And so before we begin this first message, I just want us to pray that God would use this in our lives and that the Holy Spirit would go to work on us in this first message. Let's pray together. God, I, am, um, I understand that this message runs right up against so much of our culture both in its authenticity, its transparency, and the rawness of emotion that's being shown by Habakkuk. Particularly in this message, God, I pray that we would have the courage to, to be led by you in this and to respond with our lives and our hearts in an authentic way like Habakkuk shows to us. Thank you, God, for giving us this glimpse and teaching us through this um, part of your word, and I pray that we'd lean in and be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First question I just want to kind of pose and put in front of you guys is this. Are you comfortable, are you comfortable bringing your hard questions to God? Now, I'm not talking about like the sort of why God questions that get asked on Super Bowl Sunday because the Lions aren't in the Super Bowl for another year. I'm not talking about that kind of why God question. I'm not talking about the, the why God question that happens when after a really long day at work, you walk outside to find out that you have a flat tire. I'm not talking about that degree of why God. I'm not talking about the degree of why God that comes from the young parents whose newborn uh, just blew out their diaper right in the middle of like the worst possible time. I'm not talking about that level of why God. I'm talking about asking God hard questions when your pain seems to have no end. I'm talking about asking God hard questions when you cannot shake doubt when, when grief seems to just continue to envelop you, when fear grips you, when, when your entire world just feels shaky. I'm talking about that kind of why God moment. I want you to see Habakkuk's response. I want you to see his authenticity. Look with me. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. The oracle or the revelation that Habakkuk the prophet saw, verse 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? <clears throat> why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? 
destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. (coughs) So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. (coughs) We're going to start right there this morning, just in that passage. And what is so clear from the very beginning of this prophecy is this. God welcomes your questioning. Write it down. That's the big idea. It's the basis for this message. God welcomes your questioning. Habakkuk questions God in three different ways. I want you to see it there in the text. And then we're going to bring this to bear on our lives. First, Habakkuk questions God. Verse 2, when pain persists. The verb cry here is more than just like, I'm communicating something. It is more than a simple request. It is an audible, intense request for help. Make note here, this is not a tame prayer. He's experiencing violence, and there is no response from the Lord. Multiple cries for help. Nothing from God. And you can literally, in reading this first, in verse 2, you can sense his frustration. God, I'm experiencing pain. Where are you? He's looking around, crying out for salvation and relief, and it hasn't come. And he's, he's calling God out. It's not a tame prayer. It's an authentic and real as pain persists. The the confrontation continues, verse 3, look at it with me again. This is, uh, God welcomes your questioning when evil endures. So he's questioning God on his response to evil. Look what he says. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? Iniquity is another word for sin or evil. He's like, there's destruction, there's acts of aggression, there's bitter conflict and disputes between people. Like these are all, these are all the things that the that, that church, like we look at around our life and around our world and, and you, don't, you don't come to this passage and go, yeah, I really can't connect. Like you're like, yes, Habakkuk. Yes, speak for me. Speak for me. I could say the same things. All kinds of evil experienced as a result of brokenness in the world and in people. It's an easy connection to make, and he doesn't hold back. Do you see his boldness here? Hey, God, I see evil and sin and death. You make me see it. But then he's like, God, you're not doing anything. Why do you idly look at wrong? He might as well be saying, like, God, you seem pretty lazy in responding to this. Habakkuk's wrestling with the common question that so many have wrestled with. Why does God allow evil? Where are you, God, when this is playing out? It's right here for us. And again, not a tame prayer. He's wrestling deeply and loudly. Continues in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed. He's like coming to the end of his argument here. And justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He's, he's, he's asking God here. He, he's calling out one of the most fundamental attributes of God, his justice. And he's saying, where is it? He's, he's sitting here processing this and he's going, this is what I believed your justice was. 
straight and strong and true. This is what I believed it was. But what I'm wrestling with right now, God, is in my experience, it feels like this. It it feels bent and perverted and twisted. It seems paralyzed. And he's laying it out before God. He's like, yeah, this is, you say you're just, but this is what it feels like right now. And what you've communicated to me and what's coming for your people, for me. From these four verses, this much is clear. Habakkuk is not okay with what's happening. He's not okay with what's coming for the kingdom of Judah. But he doesn't run. He doesn't harden his heart. He, he doesn't close himself off or become quiet. He brings his wrestling right to God. And it shows us, church. It shows us that God welcomes your questioning. When pain persists, when evil endures, and when injustice increases. And so anybody who knows me knows I'm a bit of a skeptic. So I got to this point as I was prepping and I was thinking about this subject and the reality of it. And I was like, is this, is this true? Is, is, was Habakkuk just a little bit like cranky? Like in his prayer? Or, or do we see this why God sort of prayers other places in Scripture? So I searched for examples of people questioning God. I just literally searched why God. And the proof is substantial. This isn't just Habakkuk. This is welcomed by God. Moses in Exodus 32 asked the question, why God? God's people ask it in Numbers 21 and Judges 21. Joshua in Joshua 7. Saul in 1 Samuel 14. Job in Job 10 and a lot of other places in Job if you've read, if you've read Job before. Isaiah in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 63, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12, David in seven Psalms at least is like, why God? Why God is this happening? And if that's not enough, let me just remind you of what Jesus cried in Matthew 27, moments before his death on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the Son of God. Even the Son of God. You've you've got to, at this moment, bring your life to the text. Let the cry of Habakkuk and so many others in Scripture speak to you right at the place where, in your life, pain persists, evil endures, and injustice increases. In reading the prayer request of people in our church, people that are sitting right in these seats right now and in the earlier service, in the last month, in my own prayers for people in our church or uh, from our staff walking alongside people in our church, there are real situations that you're experiencing of pain and suffering physical abuse, miscarriage, death of loved ones, divorce, suicide, enduring insomnia, continual fear and anxiety about the virus and a host of other things, unreconciled relationships. That's just what I've seen in our church in the last month. I'm certain that if I was to sit down with any one of you, either now or at some point in your life, hundreds of 
things that you've wrestled with and struggled through and walked in. And I'm certain there's a lot of things that maybe you've never shared with anyone and they've just been between you and hopefully you and God. How does this passage from Habakkuk, validated by other followers of God and by Jesus himself, how does it intersect with your, uh, the pain you've walked through and the evil and the injustice and mine? How? How? I have three responses that I want to encourage us with. First, draw near with your questions. If God welcomes your questioning, draw near with your questions. Take your questions to God. Wrestling through them with God is a move that increases intimacy with God. Don't feel like, I think we do this sometimes in our approach to God. We feel like we have to somehow detach our emotion before we like, draw near to God. I don't know how this has gotten messed up. It's foolish to believe that you have to kind of sort out your emotions before you approach the throne of grace. Like, think about the absurdness of that. Like, the throne of grace is the place where we go because we can't arrive. Like, we have a need that we can't get to this right place. And so we're going to the place where that's going to be uh, supplied, and yet we feel like sometimes we got to get it all right before we approach God. How, how, about, how about we sort through our emotions with God? he's our most loving father. He's our most faithful friend and he above all others is our most qualified counselor. I assure you, God can handle your honest emotions a lot better than the people that might sit close to you right now. Habakkuk is not rebuked. He doesn't get a lecture like, whoa, 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 Habakkuk, like you're being a bit disrespectful, like you're getting a little too intense, just, just breathe a little bit. There's no correction to his tone. God doesn't respond with, how dare you call me out? He welcomes it. When you see this, you have to ask the question, why are our prayers so tame? Who taught us that? Like, really? Like, take a little inventory this morning and ask yourself the question, why are our prayers so tame? I think it's our culture. I think it's our culture, and I think there's sin involved too. First, our culture. I, I think our culture has, has caused us, particularly American culture, is like, I, I will not in this, in me exposing myself to the greater world, I will not be authentic. There is a, in the church particularly, there's like this, this fake sort of veneer that we like to put in front of us, like, I got it all together. And we live there and we project this everywhere. And we feel like everything's always got to be good and great and awesome. And we live in this place where we don't give ourselves permission to cry out. And we bring that right into our relationship with God. In addition, I think there's sometimes our prayers are tame. Because we don't really want to walk into our own suffering and other people's suffering. And I think sometimes it's just a lack of love. But throughout the Bible, do you know again and again, there is no holding back. During grief, 
You see people ripping the sackcloth that they're wearing. You see them putting ashes over their, their face, sitting in grief for a duration that makes sense for the loss that they've experienced. People beating their chest in repentance, falling down on their knees with tears falling down their face. Why are prayers so tame? Are we more concerned about saying the right thing than expressing our heart to God with authenticity, the one who calls us his children? Are we approaching God as a religious activity or as a holy practice where we draw near to God? Let Habakkuk challenge you in your depth in prayer. Let, let it expand it a bit. And so let me just give you some encouragement on how to expand authenticity in prayer in both what I've seen in Scripture and what I've experienced in my own life. First, give more space for prayer. Church, particularly when you're walking through a season of, of pain and suffering, man, just I understand that there's really good rhythms to like, regularly praying or regularly talking with the people in your life in those relationships. But there are times when there is something so heavy that you can't get to the end of that conversation by just casual conversation. And some of you just need a more extended time with the Lord. Second, be more active while you pray. Kneel down. Posture can help us remind ourselves of what we're doing in the moment. Some of us, I, I think a really great uh, would just be to take a walk. If you were to be in this worship center throughout the week, you'll find oftentimes Pastor Jeremy kind of on the, he's either on the phone talking to people or at times I've seen him praying and just walking laps around the worship center. Sometimes I love just to, just to take a drive and somewhere and just park my car and just cry out to God as if he's sitting right next to me in the passenger seat. Be more active while you pray. Third, avoid electronics. Like, you're sometimes not going to get to the place you need to get because you're just distracted. Next, set aside the prayer list. I think prayer lists are great. I'm not down on prayer lists. It helps me remember who to pray for and what to pray for. But sometimes when you're just, when you're just processing with the Lord, don't feel like I've got to go through my prayer list. Just talk to him. Just, just let it flow. Next, pray through the scriptures. This, the best place for you to learn authenticity is the Psalms. It'll teach you to draw near with your questions. Learn to pray them as if they're yours. So many of them will meet you right in the moments when you need it. Use an actual Bible when you're doing that to avoid distractions. Again, just trying to help you here. Praying scripture will also protect you, watch this, protect you from allowing your pain to distort your perception of God's character. Praying scriptures will help you with that. And then finally, this last one, even though a few weeks ago in talking on prayer, I gave you a pattern for prayer. Um, sometimes when you're talking to God ab authentic authentically about your pain and suffering, don't follow a pattern. Just find some space and time where I am just, I'm kneeling or I'm on my face before the Lord prostrate, just crying out to God. Why? Because God welcomes your questioning. Draw near with your questions. That's the first one. Second one is this. Bring your questions into community. Bring your questions into community. I want to make sure you see here, church, Habakkuk isn't 
communicating this prophecy in isolation. It got into your Bible and into my Bible because he brought this into the community. He's like, this isn't just my thing, this is our thing. Think, think about the Psalms and all the places where David cries out, why God? Those were songs for the community to sing together. These aren't just isolated moments, they're for the community. And so just note this, if God welcomes your questioning, then he wants your questions to be welcomed among his people. If God welcomes your questioning, then he wants your questions to be welcomed among his people. Philip Yancey, one of my all-time favorite authors, often wrestles with the issues that we're discussing today. He wrote a book titled, um, What Good Is God? In April 2007, he was in a church like ours, addressing a church full of people, and this was in Blacksburg, Virginia, shortly after the Virginia Tech massacre that year. 32 people were gunned down by a student, and in that message, here's what he wrote. Here's what he said. Finally, do not attempt healing alone. True healing of deep connective tissue takes place in community. Where is God when it hurts? Where God's people are. Where misery is, there is the Messiah. And now on earth, the Messiah takes form in the shape of the church. That's what the body of Christ means. Paul understood this, and that's why he wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, church, one of the primary reasons that... Um, God puts this in front of his community is because he knows we're all going to walk through seasons of pain and suffering. And we want to establish a community that has both walked through pain and affliction rightly and been comforted by God and then through God's people, God working through his people, so that then we know what to do and what to say and what not to do and what not to say when we then have the opportunity to comfort someone else. This is so key, and so I was thinking about this, and I was asking the question, how can God's community, how can our community respond rightly to hurting people? And I could preach a whole series of messages on this. Let me just extend in this moment three encouragements, three principles. First, presence over resolution. Presence over resolution. Silence over words. Presence and listening over trying to supply the answer. Isn't that her tendency sometimes? To want to rush to the answer, the solution, the resolution. Enduring presence is, is, is always the most valuable. Especially when a loved one has been lost. I see this all the time in grief. Second principle, practical care over profound wisdom. Um, many of you know, um, but some of you probably don't, that, that my wife, Amy, uh, lost her father when she was 14 years old. Not the best time in your life to lose a father. And when she recounts that season of time in her life, 
you, 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 there's no point in, and I actually processed through this with her this morning, there, there's never a point where in her talking about that season in her life where she goes, you know what, I was grieving, and then somebody came and they gave me this profound wisdom and God just drew me out of my grief. But what she does talk about is the miraculous, at times, seemingly practical care that came from God's people. Just walking alongside them, providing for their needs, being there when they needed it, just practical care. It's good for us to remember that. Finally, this principle, present over future. Wrestle with people. Come alongside them. Pray prayers of desperation with them, like we see Habakkuk here. Don't rush to the future. Yes, you might see it. You might see, oh my goodness, when God resolves this in their life, they're going to be able to comfort somebody else, but don't rush there. Don't rush to, man, man, I am positive that God is going to work it out for good. Don't rush the fruit of suffering or you will bruise the person. Don't rush the fruit of suffering or you will bruise the person. Let Christ church be a place, not just through me and our leaders, but through each and every person where we welcome the hurting. If you're here this morning and, and, and you've been hurt in some way where evil is endured or where pain has persisted or where injustice has seemed to increase, I want you to know your hard questions are welcomed here and we're going to process alongside you and walk with you in that. But let Christ Church welcome the hurting. Bring your questions into community. And then finally this. Learn to live in the silence between the question and the answer. I purposely felt as I was preparing this message, I just had to stop at four. I had to stop at verse 4 because I felt the need to give us space and time between the question and God's response in verse 5 because we, we, we as a church and as a people need to learn to sit in the silence between the question and the answer. I don't know if verse 5 came immediately after Habakkuk questioned God. I don't know if it came days or months later. In Job, we don't know how, how much time played out between when he suffered the loss of his family, his home, his livelihood, but many scholars say that it could have been decades. Decades. But we do know, though, that there were three dark and depressing days between the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. There's silence between the question and the answer. We have, we have got to stop trying to resolve everything so quickly. Our culture has taught us that, that if I feel something uncomfortable, that, that what, my, what the tendency that I hear from the culture is that I must do something to either insulate myself from it, medicate myself in it, or move in some way like, like that's not okay to feel. And, and I, listen, I'm with you. I, 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 I hate it. It rubs against my flesh when I see this in people's lives and in my own life. I want to resolve everything immediately. Pain and suffering constantly reveals your impatience. 
and your fleshly tendency to rush ahead to try to do something in your own power. And maybe, just maybe, God is teaching us that in the silence between, in those moments when we don't have easy answers or quick solutions, that that might be where we're actually learning to walk by faith. It's where we stop long enough, humbled by struggle and grief, to truly notice that God is the one walking alongside us. Hear these words from John Bunyan, who still speak wisdom to our lives so many years later. We also, before the temptation comes, think we can walk upon the sea. But when the winds blow, we feel ourselves begin to sink. And yet, does it yield no good to us? We could not live without such turnings of the hand of God upon us. We should be overgrown with flesh if we had not our seasonable winters. It is said that in some countries, trees will grow but will bear no fruit because there is no winter there. Maybe, just maybe, church, in the silence between, when the, when the ache and the pain are loud, maybe it's there where you and I, we st- stop seeking sort of these easy resolutions for our questions. And instead, we find the enduring presence of God. See this purpose in pain and suffering this morning. The question and wrestling leads you to a place where the ache of the human heart is strong and desperation is real. It is a place where you don't find all the answers, but you find God. It is a place marked by reverence more than resolution. In the silence between the question and the answer, let me challenge us to hear Paul's words to the Colossians in chapter 3. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. With your eyes on the things above. We as a people of God, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we have to learn more authentically to, to, to stay in this space between, the silence between the question and the answer. We have to live there in that silence at times, in a place marked, I believe, should be marked by reverence more than resolution. A reverence that that isn't uncomfortable with the reality of mystery. That that trusts the character of God even when you don't see the evidence of it. Reverence more than resolution. God welcomes, church, your questioning. And so I just want to, as we close our service today, I just want to give us space. I want to give a space to to, to wrestle in the same way that Habakkuk and so many others illustrate for us. They invite us to it. And I just want to welcome you, invite you to, to in in, in just a few moments, the the band is going to sing this song over us, and we're going to close the service after that. But in that space, I want to give you the opportunity to, 
cling to hope even when you don't see the future resolution. Even when you're feeling the same things that Habakkuk expresses here. So I just want to invite you to move. Maybe some of you need to come up here and kneel and pray. Maybe some of you want to do it right where you're at. Maybe some of you want to lay face down and just lay it out before the Lord in this moment. Let me assure you, God welcomes your questioning and your questioning is welcome here. God forbid that we exist in some sort of artificial religious culture where we can't bring the pain and the suffering of our lives right to the throne of grace. So I just want to call you. I want to encourage you. For some, this might be a move you've never made in your walk with God, tragically. To come and to express the weight and the heaviness of the thing that you've carried or are walking through or seeing play out around you. So as they sing, I just want to invite you to come forward to kneel, to do it in your seat, wherever you're most comfortable. Let's give this space to to, to let this song sing over us and to seek the God who welcomes your questioning in a place that welcomes your questioning. Let's do that now.